0: Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com, and this is Antiwar News for Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. We have a ton of stuff for you today. It was a very busy, crazy day. Uh, The first one at the top of the page, uh, President Biden on Monday claimed that a U.S. drone strike in Kabul, Afghanistan, uh, that was carried out over the weekend, killed al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahiri. Now, Zawahiri was bin Laden's number two and was his successor after bin Laden was killed. Um, so this kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, you know, the U.S. left Afghanistan. It's been almost a year now. They completed the withdrawal on August 30th, 2021. And there. this is the first known U.S. drone strike in Afghanistan since the withdrawal. Um, Biden is saying that U.S. intelligence located Zawahiri Um, earlier this year and said that he moved to downtown Kabul to, quote, reunite with members of his immediate family, end quote. Um, Biden said he authorized the drone strike last week. Administration officials told the media that the drone strike was launched by the CIA. Uh, It's the first, I said that already, it's the first known drone strike since the U.S. left. Now, Biden claimed no civilians were killed in the strike, but the U.S. is known for for undercounting civilian casualties is notorious for it. Um, As an example here, the last known U.S. drone strike in Afghanistan occurred on August 29th, 2021 in Kabul, and it killed 10 civilians, including seven children. And initially, the U.S. military claimed the strike killed ISIS-K members and described it as a righteous strike. That's the word that Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, used to describe it, righteous. And then we later found out that it just killed a bunch of civilians. And the only reason why we found that out is because at the time during the withdrawal, you know, there was tons of Western media presence on the ground in Kabul. All eyes were on Afghanistan because a lot of times the drone strikes are in some remote villages where and we never will really find out what happened. And now the Taliban uh, spokesman Zabula Mujahid, he said in a statement on Monday that a U.S. drone strike hit a residence in Kabul over the weekend seemingly confirming um, the U.S. account here. Didn't mention about who could have been killed, uh, but he condemned the strike. He said it was a violation of the Doha agreement that the U.S. and the Taliban signed in February 2020, which paved the way for the U.S. withdrawal. Um, And then, again, I mentioned that Zawahiri was the successor to Bin Laden, and I just had to throw in at the end that before, um, you know, the Taliban had offered to cooperate on bin laden before the u.s uh invaded afghanistan even before the september 11th attacks the taliban offered to put bin laden on trial um and this was confirmed by a cia official um and after the attacks president george w bush rejected an offer from the taliban to hand bin laden over and i link to um articles there that back those facts up which is you know um Facts that still surprise people today that don't realize um, how the war in Afghanistan was based on uh, based on a lie, based on the idea that the Taliban gave safe haven to Al Qaeda. Um, so the next one here, more Nancy Pelosi. So uh, there was a ton of reports in both Taiwanese and and U.S. and other Western media that said Nancy Pelosi will be visiting Taiwan on her trip to. Asia. And again, this is going to be, I've been talking about this for a while, but this is just going to be such a major provocation towards China. Um, It's completely unnecessary. Uh, It's come out that the Biden administration fears it could provoke a major cross-strait crisis. Uh, The US military thinks it's not a good idea, yet she's going ahead with this trip anyway. Um, So she's leading a congressional delegation in the Asia Pacific right now. On Monday, they were in Singapore. And according to these reports, they're going to arrive in Taiwan on Tuesday night. Um, And she will be meeting with Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen on Wednesday, along with her congressional delegation. She's with five other House lawmakers, including Gregory Meeks. So uh, we saw fresh warnings from China again on Monday because like they've, they're making very clear that they're going to respond to this and we don't know exactly how they're going to respond. Um, the Chinese foreign ministry spokesman reiterated that China will respond. He said that China's People's Liberation Army will not sit idly by. And then the People's Liberation Army's Eastern Theater Command, they posted a video on Weibo. Uh, it's a Chinese social media site. And they posted on uh, other social media, like WeChat and stuff, um, just kind of a video showing off their military capabilities. And the video warned that the PLA would bury, quote, bury their incoming enemies, end quote. So it's a pretty strong warning. It didn't mention Taiwan or Pelosi by name, but it's pretty clear um, that they're going to make a pretty serious response. Um, And it's completely reckless. And then the White House kind of signaled, you know, we've seen that the Biden administration said they think it's a bad idea, but then we saw them pretty much say that they support the trip uh, on Monday. John Kirby, who's the White House national security spokesman, he said, quote, we want to make sure that when she travels overseas, she can do so safely and securely, and we're going to make sure of that, end quote. So the U.S. military is preparing for this trip. Um, We've seen a aircraft carrier ronald reagan and its strike group is operating in the south china sea near taiwan and the u.s generally has a lot of more forces in the region than they than they used to uh there's been a pretty big u.s military increase in u.s military activity in that part of the world so we're just going to have to sit back and see what how china responds uh to pelosi making this trip and you know this this could really set things on a bad course uh You know, there's there might be no going back from this step that she takes when it comes to U.S.-China relations. We could see China do things they haven't done before, and it's all for Pelosi to just go to Taiwan. I don't know what she could possibly accomplish. This next one here is pretty important. This is from Responsible Statecraft, Connor Eccles, Um, Bob Menendez, Democrat from New Jersey. Senator and Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina, they recently introduced a bill called the Taiwan Policy Act of 2022. And this bill would significantly increase U.S. support for Taiwan, including providing $4.5 billion in military aid over the next four years. So that's a little more than a billion every year. And that would make Taiwan the fourth leading recipient of U.S. military aid behind Israel, Egypt, and Ukraine. Now, this this bill would also they're they're touting it as it would be the biggest um, change in U.S. policy towards Taiwan since 1979, since they formally um, ended diplomatic ties with Taiwan to open up with Beijing, uh, you know, following this one China policy. And it would require sanctions against China if they moved on Taiwan. So it would change it would requiring a response to a Chinese invasion or attack on Taiwan would be a huge change in the current policy of strategic ambiguity, even if it's not a military response. Uh, but we've seen other bills introduced by other senators, um, Rick Scott, for instance, that want to give Biden war powers if China attacks Taiwan. So we're just seeing a lot of this. And Menendez, you know, Lindsey Graham is a, just a, uh, an ultra hawk, uh, you know, I would say. And so is Menendez, but he's very influential. And with Democrats and the fact that he's behind showing support for this, um, you know, tells me that it has a good chance, maybe not this year, but another version of it in the future, we might see past get past. And again, this Pelosi trip, it really might change things, it, whatever they respond. You know, they're going to use that as a reason. Oh, why, this is why we have to give more support for Taiwan, even though our support for Taiwan is the reason why China did that. But they're not going to see it that way it's just going to be a reason to sell more weapons to Taiwan and increase support. Okay. So speaking of selling more weapons, president Biden on Monday authorized an additional $550 million, uh, military aid package for Ukraine, marking the 17th arms package that the U S has pledged since Russia invaded on February 24th. According to the Pentagon, the new package includes an unspecified amount of ammunition for the HIMARS, those are the multiple rocket launch systems that the U.S. has been giving Ukraine, and 75,000 rounds of ammunition for the howitzers that the U.S. has sent Ukraine. The new aid was authorized by the Presidential Drawdown Authority, which allows Biden to send Ukraine weapons and ammunition directly from U.S. military stockpiles, and the funds were pulled from the $40 billion Ukraine aid bill that Biden signed back in May. That bill is meant to last through September 30th, which is the end of the fiscal year for the U.S. federal government. So we might see them try to pass a new aid bill for Ukraine soon, because uh, September 30th is is coming up on us. And so far, the total, the $40 billion bill plus the $13.6 billion bill that was signed in March, uh, the total U.S. aid for Ukraine this year has is about $54 billion, um, and it and it looks like more is probably going to be on the way. So the next one here, this is our good news for the day, I guess. This is the only good news, but it is good news. Uh, The first ship carrying Ukrainian grain left Odessa on Monday as a result of the deal meant to facilitate exports. That was recently signed between Ukraine, Russia, and it was brokered by the Turkey and the UN. So a Sierra Leone-flagged ship, left Ukraine carrying 26,000 tons of corn and is due to anchor off Istanbul on Tuesday. So the idea is the ship left Ukraine. It's going to go anchor off Istanbul. And this coordination center that was set up in Istanbul, it has officials from Russia, Ukraine, Turkey, and the UN, and they're going to oversee inspections of these ships. I guess they're checking them for arms. So then once that's done, this ship is going to leave the Black Sea through the Bosphorus Strait Uh, and head to Lebanon. It's going to deliver its corn to Tripoli, Lebanon. Um, And it's the first ship that's left since Russia invaded. Uh, And, you know, we saw every side, Ukraine, Russia, the UN, Turkey, they all had positive things to say about this. And hopefully this leads to more negotiations and more talks um, and that this grain keeps going. The Ukraine is saying there's 16 other ships ready to leave Odessa, and then other ports, um, we're going to start see to see ships move out of there. So it's a good sign. And under this deal, uh, Ukraine created corridors for the ships to go through because its ports are heavily mined and they escort them out. And then Russia agrees not to attack the area. Okay. And the U.S. had, I have to mention this every time, the U.S. had nothing to do with negotiating this deal because it just has chosen not to pursue diplomacy um, around this conflict. So today there was a non-proliferation treaty conference in New York. um, And the head of the UN, Antonio Guterres, he warned at this conference that, quote, humanity is just one misunderstanding, one miscalculation away from nuclear annihilation. End quote. Um, Which is pretty bleak coming from the head of the UN. Uh, He said that global tensions and the war in Ukraine have put the world in a time of nuclear danger not seen since the Cold War. And we've seen other people say this. British National Security Advisor said it last week um, that right now, today, they believe there's a higher risk of nuclear war than there was at any point during the Cold War. The main reason why is because of the lack of communication between the U.S. and Russia and the lack of arms control treaties. So there's a, I have a lot of nuclear and arms control stuff today. There's A, a lot happened today, so I'll try to get through it. Um quick, but Putin he also addressed the NPT conference in a letter uh where he warned, quote, we proceed from the fact that there can be no winners in a nuclear war and it should never be unleashed. And we stand for equal and indivisible security for all members of the world community. End quote. Um So as we've uh, said, you know, it's just the risk of nuclear war so so high. And it's widely accepted and believed that if the U.S. and Russia end up in a direct conflict, it could quickly turn nuclear. That has not stopped the U.S. from shipping billions of dollars into Ukraine and funding a war on Russia's border. Um, So the next one here. So Biden also put out a statement to this conference, this MPT conference. It's the 10th conference of the treaty. The treaty came into force in 1970, and basically the, the gist of it is um, non-nuclear-armed states that sign it agree, we'll never build nuclear weapons. Nuclear-armed states say uh, that they will work towards disarmament and um, you know, not expand their arsenal. And we really did see the US and the Soviet Union dismantle a very significant amount of their nuclear warheads. Um, currently they both have around 6,000. The U S has about 5,600. Russia has about 6,200 nuclear warheads. Um, so Biden, he kind of sent a mixed signal to Moscow in his statement. It was kind of strange. Um, but in his statement, he said that his administration is ready to negotiate, uh, a replacement to new start, which is the last nuclear arms control treaty, Between the U.S. and Russia, it limits the deployments of warheads and nuclear-capable bombers and missiles and submarines, and it's due to expire in 2026, the last piece of arms control. So he says in this statement that they're ready to negotiate with Russia, but he adds this caveat that signals that he won't negotiate with Russia while it's fighting in Ukraine. He said, quote, but negotiations require negotiation r- requires a willing partner operating in good faith and Russia's brutal and unprovoked aggression in Ukraine has shattered peace in Europe and constitutes an attack on fundamental tenets of international order. In this context, Russia should demonstrate that it is ready to resume work on nuclear arms control with the United States End quote. So that tells me he's saying, as long as there's a war in Ukraine, we're not going to negotiate arms control with Russia. Um, and a, foreign, a Russian foreign ministry source told Reuters that basically that they were confused by the statement. The, the, the source said, quote, if this is still a serious intention, with whom exactly do they intend to discuss it? And quote, so the U.S. cut off arms control talks with Moscow after it invaded Ukraine on February 24th. Russian officials have said since that they're interested in resuming that dialogue. But we haven't seen interest from the U.S. until this statement from Biden, which was Again, I think a mixed signal is the best way to describe it. So uh, Israel, now Israel is an interesting case when it comes to the non-proliferation non-prol- treaty um, because they have a secret nuclear weapons program. It's They're estimated to have between ni- somewhere between 90 and 300 nuclear warheads. I've seen estimates higher than 300 Um and it's an undeclared arsenal. It's a secret nuclear weapons program that the U.S. pretty much pretends that it doesn't exist. So on Monday, while this conference was going on in New York, when Anthony Blinken, the U.S. Secretary of State, was saying the U.S. was committed to non nonproliferation, uh, Yair Lapid, the Israeli prime minister, he signaled uh, in a talk at the at Israel's Atomic Energy Commission, he basically signaled that they're not changing this secret Nuclear weapons policy anytime soon. He spoke of Israel's quote defensive capabilities and offensive capabilities and what the foreign media tends to call other capabilities. End quote. He he then said quote these other capabilities keep us alive and will keep us alive as long as we and our children are here. End quote. So, like I said, Israel refuses to sign the NP the non proliferation treaty because of its arsenal. And uh, going back to the Nixon administration, every U.S. president has agreed not to pressure Israel to sign the NPT. In exchange, Israel agrees not to declare its nuclear arsenal and operates the program covertly. President Biden and former Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett renewed the decades-old understanding last September during a meeting in Washington. Um, There's more details if you click that link. Okay, and you know you you just always hear about Ar- Iran's secret nuclear weapons program that doesn't exist while Israel has one. <laughs> and it sometimes you hear them say Iran can't get a nuclear weapon because it will start in arms race in the Middle East, but Israel already has uh, nukes. so that really just cuts a hole in that narrative. Um, so here's another sign that the. US. is not serious about renewing the nuclear deal with Iran which would require them to lift a lot of sanctions that were put in place by the Trump administration. The US on Monday issued fresh sanctions against Iran meant to target the Islamic Republic's oil and petrochemical sales to East Asia. So the new sanctions targeted three Chinese firms and one UAE firm that are accused of doing business with um, the Persian Gulf petrochemical industry commercial company, which the US Treasury Department says is one of Iran's largest petrochemical brokers. So basically, they're accusing these companies of doing business with Iran and uh, helping them export their oil and petrochemicals, which the US doesn't like. Um, so yeah, I mean, as they're, if they're adding more sanctions on Iran, it really does tell me that they're not, you know, that's not sending a good signal to to Iran that they want to return to talks. And speaking of which, this is from Jason Ditz. Blinken dodged a question of the U.S. returning to the to the talks with Iran to revive the nuclear deal, the J, known as the JCPOA. Um, he was asked, basically, if the U.S. was re- willing to return to the talks at all, and he said, he just put the responsibility on Iran. He said, quote, it remains to be seen whether Iran is willing and able to move forward, end quote. So basically, the Biden administration's position is a very hardline one. They refuse to lift the sanctions that Iran wants. They claim that they're not going to lift non uh, sanctions that aren't in line with the economic benefits that Iran would receive from the JCPOA. But it's really just nonsense because after the Trump administration withdrew from the deal in 2018, they just put sanction after sanction after sanction, some non nuclear related designated iran's irgc as a foreign terrorist organization just put in place all these ridiculous sanctions um and at the end of the trump administration during the transition period elliot abrams who was in charge of trump's iran policy at the end there and also his venezuela policy he said that they were going to add as many sanctions as they could before biden came in to prevent them from rejoining the nuclear deal so that's what we're seeing Uh, it looks like elliot abrams plan Has worked and this last one here this is also from jason ditz so we saw this uh iranian official their atomic energy chief he said on monday that iran technically has the capability to produce an atomic bomb but that they have no intention of trying to do so so we saw an iranian official say this a few weeks back and that was the first time i've seen uh Iranian officials say that usually their line is we're not trying to build a nuclear weapon and and I haven't seen them say that they have the technical means to do so but they don't want to. So this is the second time I've seen it, so maybe it's a new kind of talking point coming from Iran in an attempt to kind of force the US's hand to get back into these negotiations cuz to me, you know, I've seen no signal that they're actually planning to build a nuclear weapon. Um They've reiterated their policy that weapons of mass destruction are, you know, forbidden by a edict from their supreme leader, a fatwa, as they call it. Um, they reiterated that recently, and um, we just haven't seen any real signs. But this is like kind of a new uh, talking point we're seeing from them. So I think it's an effort to get the U.S. back to the table. But they're really showing that they're stubborn and that they do not want to resume those negotiations. Um, So that's it for today. There was a lot of stuff there. I think I condensed it pretty good. Um, I hope everybody's enjoying the show. You can contact the show at news at antiwar.com. You can support the show at com slash donate. That's it for me for today. And I will see you guys with some more news tomorrow. Thank you.